Hello, everyone. My name is Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome. I'm your host here on Kid Tech. And this is a show where we meet with the movers and shakers and the, uh, the preachers and the greeters of the Kid Tech ecosystem. Today, I'm very, very pleased to be here with Harold Chizik, who's the CEO of Chizcom and Chizcom Beacon Media. Harold, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dylan. That was quite an introduction. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to let you down. That was big shoes to fill. Oh, no. Um, Harold, you and I have known each other for, um, for some years, and, and really, I suppose, a, a variety of different ways. Um, I guess for our show's audience, can you explain briefly what does Chiscom do? So Chiscom is a marketing partner to uh, mainly toy and children's entertainment and confectionery companies. You basically, we're marketing department in a box. So um, small, medium, large companies can engage with Chiscom and we provide them the deep bench strength of, of people resources. Um, in multi-disciplines of marketing, whether that be PR, social media, retail strategy, and everything in between. And of course, um, our recent acquisition um, in 2019 of Beacon Media, which uh, put us in the media buying game, both television and digital. And I want to get into everything that just came out of your, your mouth over the course of this interview. But let's let's go back and talk a little bit of a little bit of history. So what is the origin story for Chizcom? How and, and I suppose why did you start? So the reality is um, re the answer to the question of why is um, family. I have, I have four children and an amazing wife. And the company started not out of strategy or planning, it was necessity. Um, I had spent the majority of my career working at Spin Master. I was vice president of marketing services. And uh, in, or, in or about 2013, we hit some stumbling blocks. And you know, like all um, most major toy companies, at some point in your evolution, there's, there's trimming and uh, several rounds into uh, the trimming process, my number came up. And uh, fortunately, um, in the 13 years of my career, I had great learning opportunities, both with wins and losses. Um, I had built a nice reputation for myself, uh, made a lot of friends. Um, and, you know, I go on the premise in life that, you know, be good to those on your climb up so that when there's someone to catch you when you fall. And that's exactly what happened. I remember, you know, it was less than 48 hours after I found myself looking for employment that I got a call from Brad Pedersen of Tech for Kids, which is now uh, basic fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was his idea. He's like, uh, you know, I don't know what your next move is, but uh, we're doing some great things here. And you know, if you wanted to do some consulting for us, we'd really love to have you. I asked him what that would look like. And he said, well, just register a business. And we came up with the brilliant name Chizcom because I figured it was some name recognition. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we did. And he was client number one. And very fortunate for us that, you know, he had this great idea because within three months, 
we had six clients. We had to get an office, hire staff. Um, it was very unstrategic how the whole thing started. And, uh, you know, it, it was a completely amazing experience because, you know, got to become an entrepreneur, um, got to sort of learn very quickly. We faked it till we made it. And, um, you know, we've had a great client base that has stuck through it with us all through these years. And I'll, I'll definitely ask you to name drop a little bit later on. And um, of course, uh, you this all sort of culminated in your acquisition by Genius Brands recently. And we're going to talk about that later on as well. But before we get to that, I think you made one of the most interesting acquisitions in our sector um, in 2019 when, as you mentioned, you acquired Beacon Media. Um, and that that really sort of felt like a huge leap for, for everything that Chiscom had, had been doing up until that point. What was your vision for putting the two companies together? Why, why did you do it? You know the old saying that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good? I've had a lot of great fortune. And when I think about everybody has a unique skill set, mine is that um, I love networking. I love people. I'm open to ideas. And I believe that everything should be written in pencil so that you can change strategies and come up with what is the best solution to always move forward. It was uh, January of 2019. I got an email while I was in Hong Kong from Shelly Hirsch. And he said, um, and of course, Shelly is founder of Beacon and somebody that I worked with, you know, from the beginning of my career when we used to buy media at Spin Master. And he said to me, uh, you know, I want to talk to you. I have an idea and I want to run it by you, um, but I need you to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which I did from the hotel in Hong Kong. Um, and we scheduled a meeting for, for our return. And I was sitting with Donna McNeil, our president, waiting for the phone call with, with Shelly and his partner, Tom. And Donna said to me, Harold, what do you think they want from us? And I said, well, it's either A, they want to white label us, um, which of course is, you know, buy digital media for them under the, the Beacon brand. And I said, absolutely no way I'm going to do that because we're building Chizcom's digital um, purchasing power. Or they want to buy us, which we're not doing either because the business is worth more to me today and what we can build in the future than, than what I'm sure they would be willing to pay. And when the phone rang, the first thing out of Shelly's mouth was, hey, Harold, we have a crazy idea. We think you should buy us. And Donna and I looked at each other. And as we're looking at each other, he says, you know, it's the only thing that in marketing services, Chizcom doesn't do. And before he could even get the word do out of his mouth, Donna and I are nodding at each other like, yes, absolutely. This is a no brainer. Um, and literally six weeks later, we were, um, we had made the announcement. We're walking the, the floor at New York Toy Fair, um, meeting with all the clients and the deal closed on May 1st. And it was truly transformational to the ecosystem that we built here because it really was the final spoke and really gave us insight and capabilities into the speaking client base to expand our digital buying um, mm. portfolio. So it really did change um, our business model. 
while we weren't requiring clients to work with us on every side of the business, it naturally sort of fell into place for a lot of clients because they realized the efficiencies of having everything under one roof and not having different agencies all battling over the same budget with their own best interests at mind. And um, that, that was really, I think, for us, when we felt like we were really, we had matured as an, um, I, I don't like to use the word agency because I think of us more as partners, um, more as a, a collaborator with our clients than, than an agency. Mm. You know, even when you look at our company from myself, from Donna, from Kathleen Camposano, our CMO, to Christy Collins, we all come from non-agency background. In fact, most of our clients, we've been in their shoes because, for example, Kathleen comes from not only manufacturing, but she spent 10 years at Barnes & Noble. So when clients want to talk retail uh, strategies, it's like inside baseball. She knows you know, how to think like a buyer and, and an executive on the retail side. Same with Donna. She's been, um, she was publisher of Kid Screen before she got on the manufacturing side. So she understands that nuance of how um, journalists and editors and ad copy and all that side of it. So we really feel that our biggest differentiator is that we've walked in the shoes of our clients and, and they see it every day. Um, and that's, that's been, you know, again, the, the, the formula, when I think about um, what has worked for us differently than let's say other agency groups. And I talk to a lot of other agencies and they think I'm crazy. They're like, how can your bar model be sustainable? How are you um, acting like an employee rather than an agency and make that financially work? Well, we're paying the long game, right? We're, we're playing the long game and knowing that if we built this ecosystem and we help small and medium-sized companies mature into media buying clients, that in the long run, it's all going to pay for itself and we're going to have a very sustainable business. I want to compare you to the 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 major agency holding companies, but I don't want to offend you by comparing you to agencies either. But I mean, it's 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 very interesting the way you describe the expansion of capability. When you look at the big holding, big agency holding groups, I mean, they've had limited success in the kids sector overall. I would say, is that a function of them being just far too big or is it a function of expertise or is it something different? Like what, what's your view at this point? So I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so from a understanding the industry, I do believe that our biggest competitive advantage is that we're not agency and that we do have C-suite and executive level experience on the manufacturing side and being on the side of the table as our clients have been. So I think that understanding, which is trickled down um, throughout everything that we do in our company and into the DNA of all of our team to un really, we pluck them out of agency so that they, they have the relationships and the know-how, but then we retrain or reform their DNA to be toy people. 
And, and I think toy people are a special breed. And at big agencies, most toy companies, and I'm not going to drop any names, change their agencies. They, they, they want to go to a big agency because they want the bravado of, of being with, with the biggest agencies. But when they get there, it's all cookie cutter. It's all, how much can I bill? They don't understand the kid space. And they, they, they realize very quickly that, you know, what's missing is the, the um, toy industry IQ. Um, and we, as a, as a group, um, think of ourselves in these terms. We have the bravado of a big agency because in the toy space, I would say that we are a big agency, um, but in the real world, we're still a boutique agency and we're very humble about the fact that, you know what, at the end of the day, we are a small agency. So that type of, that, that type of acknowledgement leads to the serviceability that we give our, our clients mm. and they appreciate the fact that we are so vested in the kids and family space um, and that demographic that is who they're trying to attract, whether that be from e-commerce, because we know the huge shift in e-commerce over the last 18 months due to COVID, you know, and the changing in, in, in shopping patterns. So it's not enough anymore just to reach kid. It's how do you reach families and grandparents? And it's, it's the targeted massaging of the message hitting all those different demographics there has to be a common thread and to really be able to appreciate it understand it communicate it and execute it you have to be so in touch with the audience and the brand and really mesh those together in a very unique way um i love that phrase toy industry iq and i'm going to ask you to apply it now um what do you feel are the biggest challenges that toy companies are facing in 2021 with with their marketing i love that question because i think that it is a question that it's had the same theme um for for the last i'm going to call it three years we are marketing toys we're not fighting a werewolf there is no silver bullet and the biggest flaw in marketing strategies, when I'm talking to brand managers or potential clients, um, is that there's a belief that I have a certain budget and I can only do one thing. And what is that one thing I should do? And the answer is, if you're only going to do one thing, you should probably go home. Because if, if you don't have a well-rounded campaign, I mean, the customer is everywhere. The consumer is everywhere is what I mean. So if you're not interacting with them with every touch point um, and finding a way to be efficient with your budgets, have instead of, you know, one thing we don't do at Chiscom from a marketing services standpoint, we don't take on projects because projects are like a silver bullet. We are a service partner and there has to be a 12 month 365 day a year program that encapsulates everything from your paid to your earned to your e-com 
to uh, your all, all forms of advertising, whether it be digital, TV, print, right? Your trade marketing, it all has to be, you have to have a steady drumbeat going all year round to be successful. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a question I'm asked literally a um, hundred times a week is what is the one thing I should do? Um, and the one thing you should do is just trust an expert. Because if, mm. if you think that there is a one-stop solution, everybody would be doing it and they'd be making 80% margin, not 30%. <laughs> um, let's go forward in time a little bit. Um, if you think about five years from now, um, how do you think toy companies will be engaging with kids? How different will it look? So I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> um, you know, there was a, I think that they're going to be looking more at their brands and their opportunities from a lifestyle perspective mm. rather than a um, solitary consumer products program. Um, in, in my discussions, um, with people in the industry, you know, people talk about how do I tie in gaming or what is um, the next property that I should get involved with when, you know, I always say to them, look, I think that when you're thinking about your brands, you have to be thinking about how you would live in gaming or um, soft goods or in um, apparel Right. Not just from a licensing and revenue standpoint, but there is so much noise out there that to stand out, you really have to figure how you are going to apply your brands and your your brand growth over multiple channels. Right. Even at even at retail. Right. Retail is changing, but there still has to be, you know, channel management for your brands beyond just um, Amazon being the latest e-commerce and, and all-in strategy. If, if you're not having a proper strategy for um, channels like Costco and um, you know the dollar chains and five below, um, and that doesn't have to be just in one solitary category, um, the building of brands requires that evolutionary thinking that how am I going to live so that my product and my brand extends beyond just one aisle in the retail chain. And, and that's, I think the, the strongest companies five years from today are going to be the ones that catch on to that quick and do a better job and a more strategic job of expanding their brand and its individual portfolio rather than thinking of the portfolio brands they have and relying on them to build their business. Very interesting. Um, you were recently acquired by Genius Brands. Um, and I saw that and I thought that is another very interesting move bringing together two extremely interesting entrepreneurs. Um, what was the strategic logic 
And, and what can you tell us about sort of behind the scenes of like why that deal came together? So I'm very much about pivoting back to um, that thread that comes across the, the majority of the conversation that we've had today um, is the ability to connect with people and better to be lucky than good sometimes and realizing opportunity. So being in the toy business, I was very fortunate to be a part of Spin Master as they were building their entertainment division and got to have a you know, front seat and, and hands involvement in recognizing the transformation and the importance and power of content, whether it be Bakugan or Paw Patrol, you know, Spin Master is the master of that. Um, I got a phone call in September, the end of September, um, 2020. And just to give you insight into what we were doing at that time, um, our service side of our business was, was doing great. In the COVID year, we, we coming out of, as March came, we said, let's bring down our projections for this year because it's going to be a bloodletting. Um, and, and, you know, we had single digit growth, which for a COVID year as a service business, we will take it every single day. Um, and then what happened was um, we were looking for acquisitions. The whole beacon thing worked out so seamlessly. And we had recognized that in order to exponentially grow our business beyond the specifics of the toy aisle and the entertain kids entertainment space, if we wanted to get into gaming or you know, any other strategic category, we're likely going to need to buy a boutique agency and expand that way for our, our media buying business. So it was late September and I got a phone call and um, I didn't really understand the phone call at first. And, and, I, and I made the person on the other line pause and I said, you just got to dumb this down so that I really understand it. What is it that you're, you're saying? And they said, you know, we've, we've had some senior meetings and uh, we think we should buy your company. And it was, again, if Donna was sitting with me, like she was at the beacon phone call, we both would have been nodding because we, knew, we had already figured out that content was the future. The pitch was that, you know, the business that Genius had was looking to grow and to expand. And um, really, they had the financial capital to be able to finance any acquisitions that we were looking at doing. They also strategically shared their vision for the, let's call it the next five years. Um, and I've got to tell you, I had a phone call with Andy, who is a, a, um, quite an accomplished character. And we were on the phone. I, and again, we were talking about an acquisition. So I, I'm like trying to rush everything in terms of, I don't know how long he's going to give me um, on, this, on this call. And we're all of a sudden, I look down, we're 90 minutes in. And I, I'm going to tell you, we could have gone on for another two hours. We had um, a lot of very similar beliefs and values and vision. And 
I immediately felt extremely comfortable that as a business partner, um, we could get along great. He did not want to come in and run Chizcom or have anyone on his team run Chizcom. He wanted an independent subsidiary that can do its own thing. Um, and to be quite frank with you, I'm the only person in the organization that has dual roles within the two companies. Um, because think of it as we're separating church and state. And Chizcom has very specific goals of what we envision for the future of it, what our obligations are to our client partners and, and where we think we can grow it. And, and the, the deal was all predicated on that remaining the same. Mm. Um, where it gets additive is the fact that they have this great ability to create content, which every toy company is looking to do. We have this great licensing machine and licensing department. So, you know, in terms of not only content distribution um, globally, we are a global licensing house, um, which again, strategically is something that Donna, Kathleen and I have talked about over the last two years. Is that the next thing we wanted, service that we wanted to add to our portfolio? Well, now we, we have it. Um, and of course, broadcast. So Cartoon Channel, which was announced in June, we're marketing the heck out of it. I mean, Genius is, is, is spending millions of dollars to acquire audience. And we have great content that's launching. We're, we're launching our first new piece of content on the 23rd of April, a month today. Um, uh, Stan Lee's superhero kindergarten starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we have other great content that everyone knows we're, we're doing a show called Shaq's Garage. And um, of course we have Rainbow Rangers and Llama Llama. So the content portfolio is, is there. Um, and it also gives our clients a broadcast partner that as we build a meaningful audience will help support retail programs. So again, mm. thinking about that ecosystem and the synergies that can become and built in, we have this licensing department so to, to help generate revenue. Again, everything under one roof um, really makes it seamless. And, you know, from day one of starting this company till day, whatever day today is in, in the, the history is we've had this ethos that we fight to keep our jobs every single day. We act like an employee. Mm -hmm. So this is just us taking extra courses to better what we can provide to the, to our, to our partners so that um, we get to keep our job to come back to tomorrow. Do you think this acquisition created a blueprint for what the future of media services firms need to look like in the kids sector? Or, or, or is, or is this sort of a, just kind of a, a function of, the meeting of minds? I think it's a little bit of both. I mm. think that um, every one of our steps to our evolution has been um, fortunately timed. We didn't try and you know pull out the silver bullet and do everything at once. And it has been a strategic meeting of the minds where when we don't write things in pencil, 
it's hard to erase. So we, we, we were presented opportunities that we could jump on because it made strategic sense and really customer centric sense, right? We didn't force any of it. It was, you know, when we spoke to Tom and Shelly, it was, yeah, this makes sense for everybody involved. Uh, mostly our customers as well. And then when we got the call and I started talking to, to Andy, it was, yeah, I mean, I can, I can tell you at least five of our clients that have spent six and seven figures on creating content without really a strategic broadcast partner of, of where it can go. And yes, YouTube is great. Don't get me wrong. That is a, you know, as a media buying agency, we often say, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the top networks, right? We think of it in a lot of ways like a network. Um, but content consumption has changed a lot in even the last 12 months, probably even six months, and is probably going to be very different six months from now. So if you don't think of it from that standpoint, you can't be prepared to be opportunistic and make the changes. So mm. I think that uh, while it's flattering to think that it's the blueprint, I, I do want to say that there was there's been a whole lot of fortune and collaboration and partnership throughout this entire journey that has made it more about a we than than particularly me. Hmm. Um, I want to finish up with one final question, Harold, that we're asking all of our guests actually on season three. So from your experience across the kids industry, um, can you make one prediction for 2022 for next year? In terms of... <laughs> I will leave it up to you. Anything, <laughs> anything, any, I mean, you know, I think visibility, I mean, it's a little bit of an unfair question, right? Because visibility is, is still pretty limited. But I think given the position and the vantage point that you have in the sector, you probably see a lot of what's going on in the toy space before analysts, before retailers and things like that. So, I mean, I suppose, you know, at an industry level, at a, at, at a toy industry level, how do you think about 2022? So I think I have two predictions and it's going to tie back to sales and retail. I think that history is a good indicator of what the future will bring in some cases. And in this case, I'm going to re um, reference the tragedy of 9-11 and I was in New York when that happened and it was, uh, you know, the beginning of the fourth quarter. And um, after the shock and awe and the dust settled, so to speak, I remember the toy industry collectively was, was running for the hills. You know, this was the, um, and it turned out that the toy industry that fourth quarter had a great year. And that's because families were at home they got back to traditional play, social play with each other. Um, and the industry as a whole had a good two or three year run um, before it sort of leveled off. I think COVID, while, you know, um, different circumstances, I think the impact on, on how we socially live has changed. You know, 
just ask anyone that makes games, puzzles, um, you know, arts and crafts, uh, gaming. Uh, the whole industry has been up because people are at home spending quality time together, spending family time. And I think that the, um, I'm going to go against what popular opinion is. Um, most people think that once COVID is in the rear view, that toys are going to take a step back. I think they're going to continue the momentum um, for another 24 months um, of, of growth. And I think that what will step back is I think that, um, and this leads to prediction number two, I think that the huge jump to e-commerce purchasing for toys, um, I think that is going to revert, not to where it was beforehand, but I think that we're gonna go back to more retail, um, in-store environment, retail tainment, the shopping experience, I think that brick and mortar is um, is going to come out of COVID um, with, a, with a bump. Very interesting. Well, I, I look forward to uh, catching up in, in 12 months time, Harold, just to see how those uh, how those play out. Harold Chizik, CEO of Chizcom, thank you very much for joining us today on Kid Tech. Thanks very much, Dylan.